This episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to Whoa! Hot Luck. Hey, you're listening to Books and Bulba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian authors. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today for our December 2020 mid-month book news review. It's Christmas week. Rira, Merry Christmas week. Yes. How <laughs> hectic. How are things going for you? you have any plans for Christmas? Um, Not at the moment, but... I like I don't know. It could change at any moment. Really, you think your family yeah. is going to ambush you with uh, Christmas plans? I uh, I don't know. They kind of ambushed me for Thanksgiving, so mm. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that they're taking COVID more seriously this time around because <laughs> uh, it it recently got really bad in in the Los Angeles area. So. Yeah, and I guess like with the news with the vaccine, it feels like we're at the end of the journey, but. You know, in like books and movies, this is where they hit you with like a curveball. Oh, yeah. This is like, where the twist comes. If this was a dystopian novel, <laughs> it would be like, oh, the vaccine, it actually turns you into zombies or <laughs> like there's like a, a a twist about about like the cure. Um, but I'm glad that the vaccine is out and it's being given to medical professionals and people who, you know, don't have a choice but to take it. Also um, rich white men. That's true. Um, I, I'm personally concerned by uh, just like how quickly they sped through the trials um, yeah. because it's just like so untested and we don't even know like what it's going to do for people who uh, have gotten COVID twice. And there's just so many variables. And as the um, kids say, a lot of flags are being raised right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that a f- like at least one vaccine is out and people who need it are getting it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully things get better soon. But because it's Christmas week and people are not staying home and people are doing last minute shopping, I yeah. feel like there's going to be a bigger spike in the next two weeks. Well, and then it'll be 2021 in like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely 2021 will be our year right i mean that's what we said in 2019 and then like 2020 happened and i don't want to jinx it i really don't i know well before we get to next year um let's check in on the most recent book news in asian american literature 
Starting off with new publishing news, uh, Rira, read us our first story. All right. So we're going to start off with book deals, as always. And our first book deal is Sourcebooks Fire bought You'll Be Sorry by Suzanne Park, author of The Perfect Escape. The holiday-themed YA rom-com follows Chloe Kang, Santa's village photographer, whose rivalry with her nemesis Peter Lee escalates when she when he opens a North Pole virtual reality experience next door. But when they learn their mall is in danger of being demolished, they must work together to save it and save Christmas. Publication is slated for fall 2022. And that's Yule spelled Y-U-L-E because yeah, Christmas. <laughs> because puns are great. Uh, we had Suzanne on our show. Um, yeah. We talked to her about her book, Loathe at First Sight. Um, she, I think this is like the second book deal that I've heard from her this year. Uh, so she she has a lot of works coming out in the next two years. Next up, uh, Little Simon Bought Little Seed by author-illustrator Benson Shum. The board book follows a little seed with a big heart as he learns different ways to hug and love all of Earth's creatures. Publication is scheduled for spring 2022. Very cute. I have a lot of admiration for author-illustrators because um, doing one thing I feel like is hard enough, but to do both and for like a picture book where you also have to like make the artwork good enough to attract kids. Yeah, like I wonder if it's uh, actually faster for them to produce the book because with um, like with picture book authors, sometimes they don't get to choose their illustrator and they have to go back and forth with uh, storyboards and just how they want everything to look. And uh, with with every line edit, they have to go back to the illustrator to to get it done. So I'm like wondering with author illustrators, uh, they can make the changes much more quickly um, because they already have the storyboard in their heads. I wonder if planning things are is like a lot smoother. But yeah, yeah. it would be nice to talk to an author illustrator on the show. So yeah. hit us up. <laughs> yeah, congrats to Benson. All right, next up, Amazon Crossing Kids acquired Playing with Lanterns, written by Wang Yagu and illustrated by Hans Christian Andersen Award nominee Zhu Cheng Liang. Translated from Chinese by Helen Wang, the picture book highlights a child's joy and excitement as she partakes in a rural Chinese tradition of playing with lanterns during the New Year holiday. And there's no publication date listed, but I'm guessing that it's going to come out in the next two years. This reminds me, I used to play with lanterns for Lunar New Year's. Did you ever play with lanterns? I don't know if it's a Korean thing. No, not. it's not. It's <laughs> not a Korean thing. Yeah. It, isn't that funny with like Lunar New Year? Like every single Asian country celebrates it like vastly differently. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, my family didn't do it, but my elementary school best friend's family did. So when we went to their house for New Year. Um, we would play with lanterns together. And it would be like these plastic lanterns, which we put a candle in the middle, and then they'd be in different shapes. So there'd be like animals or like cars and airplanes. Um, I do remember that they were extremely flammable. So to make sure I mean, not it, to it, like... it sounds extremely flammable. <laughs> I think these days they put small light bulbs in the lanterns. Um, yeah, that's, that's way safer. <laughs> but... I, I would not trust a child with with the with a candle and running around with it it just does not sound safe but yeah good times 
good memories. Our next deal, Wednesday Books acquired Night of the Raven, Dawn of the Dove, the first YA fantasy novel by Rati Mehotra. In an alternate medieval India, a queen's bodyguard and bondswoman struggles against her unwitting role as a major pawn in the political games of a monster-filled land on the brink of war. Publication slated for summer 2022. That was a lot of adjectives in that description. Alternate medieval India. Yeah. I'm in for it. Yeah, sounds cool. that, that sounds really cool. All right, next up, FSG bought Hafsa Faisal's A Tempest of Tea, the first installment in a duology pitched as King Arthur meets Peaky Blinders with vampires. Set in Atenia, an amalgamation of 1920s and Victorian London with a dash of ancient Rome, the novel follows a gang of outcasts in a deadly heist led by Arthi Casimir to save her tea room which fronts an illegal bloodhouse where local vampires can purchase fresh blood. Publication of the first novel is set for spring 2022. Talk about amalgamation. I feel like this is like... 1920s, yeah. like Victorian London with Dash of Ancient Rome. This sounds like a very fun world. And I love the fact that there's there's like this front for local vampires to buy blood. Well, yeah, it's, it's like Peaky Blinders, King Arthur, Ocean's Eleven... And like Underworld slash, I don't know, what other vampire shows are there? Twilight. Let's not bring that up. No, <laughs> let's not bring that up. I, I'm sure that, I'm sure there's a lot of vampire stuff out there. It's just I haven't consumed them. Mm. But uh, but this sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like really excited for it, actually. <laughs> Our next deal, Bloomsbury bought world rights to The Loophole by debut author Nas Katub. Pitched as a speculative Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda with a focus on identity, found family, and friendship. The novel follows a queer Indian Muslim boy traveling the world for a second chance at love after a possibly magical heiress grants him three wishes. Publication is planned for spring 2022. I feel like there's a lot of um a lot of big swings in this batch of publication news. I feel like there's been a recent surge of uh, South Asian fantasy. And South Asian um, contemporary, which is really nice because uh, when people think Asian American literature, they think East Asian American literature. So it's really nice that we are getting more uh, South Asian American literature uh, that are getting more spotlit. And it just shows in, in the recent book deals that... Uh, that there's a variety because yeah. you have you have like fantasy, you have contemporary, and you have um, uh, you also have like queer Indian characters. So it it sounds like there's a variety, and I'm all for it. So our last book deal is McEldery of Simon and Schuster acquired all the right reasons by Bethany Mangle. In this YA rom-com, 17-year-old Kara and her mother are cast as leads on a new dating show for single parents, where they must narrow a field of suitors down to one winning pair. But when Kara starts to form a, a connection with a contestant's son, she discovers that navigating the world of reality TV is more drama than she ever expected. Publication is planned for spring 2022. This sounds kind of like The Bachelor. <laughs> um, I, fun, I have yeah. never watched The Bachelor, so I'm just assuming oh, that. Me that... neither. This reminds me of, uh, there's a show in China that's kind of the reverse, where it's a dating show where 
Um, like, do do the parents choose the? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you have one person, whether a male or female, as a contestant, and then you have a panel of like eight or nine possible um, possible suitors, but they all participate with their parents. Their parents have to ask questions to the suitors and the suitors' parents, and together they choose one match for their kid. And it sounds excruciating. It does. I, I wouldn't trust. I wouldn't trust my parents to pick <laughs> out like lunch for me. So, yeah, <laughs> picking out like a potential partner that just does not sound <laughs> okay. But it it depends on the parent, I guess. It depends on like how well the parent knows their kid and how respectful they are but yeah um for a reality show yeah it sounds <laughs> it sounds like a mess uh this book sounds really fun yeah congrats again to bethany mangle for her book deal looking forward to learning more about all of these books um most of which will come out in two years so um looking forward to seeing them again i feel like because our book club's been around for so long we've actually seen we've seen so many books that we've reported on come out and I think that's really cool. I think, I mean, like longtime listeners of this podcast will know that in the beginning, we did cover new releases, um, books that have come out for that month. But then we realized as we did book deals, like we're pretty much repeating the same information. <laughs> so that's why we went. That's why we cut out the new releases. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, it's always it's always a joy to to watch the books that we've only heard about in development actually make it to publication. Yeah. Just another reminder that time moves on whether we want it to or not. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, moving on to the latest book news in Asian American literature. Um, Rira, what's our first story? I think you should take the lead on this. <laughs> all right. Um, our first story, R.F. Kuang's The Poppy War series is set to be adapted into television after Peter Lowell's Starlight Media optioned the rights. Um, I am super excited for this adaptation. Um, longtime listeners will know that I am a fan of Rebecca Kwan's Poppy War series. Um, I'm currently in the middle of reading through her final book, um, which is um, Burning The God. Burning God. Um, and Rira, have you dug into the series yet? No, I have not. I have two of the three books and I just haven't had time to uh, dig into it. I know that's like an excuse. That's an excuse for a lot of people who say that they don't read books because they don't have time. But considering that we run a books podcast and yeah. we have like a lot of books on our TBR list, it just hasn't um, it just hasn't made it to the top for me. Uh, as of yet, but we've had Rebecca on this show. Yeah, we um, interviewed her at Comic Con, like what three years ago at this point. When the first book came out, <laughs> back when she just graduated college, like that's before the, she won a Hugo Award. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. That's she's just amazing, and I'm really excited about what like this series is so. It's so interesting because it's like a fantasy martial arts war political epic. With a lot of story elements inspired by the Asian theater in World War II. And um, I don't know. I feel like this will definitely scratch like a specific itch for people who are into stories that are meant to just break you emotionally. Because um, Rebecca Kwong is one of those authors who seems like she takes joy in just like making her readers like cry. I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing a good job selling this story. The story is also great. Lots of really exciting things happen. But. 
Yeah. I'm just going to read uh, the statement that Starlight Media um, published about this. And it's the combination of a strong female teenager protagonist, an inspiring theme of an outcast fighting for recognition, and a compelling historical military fantasy grounded in the history of China make this an epic TV package with inbuilt charm that plays universally. We are excited to be adapting the rich and fantastical world that R.F. Kuang has so vividly created. Yeah, so I don't know when, I don't know like what stage they are at for for development. Mm-hmm. So, it. I mean, like if they're going by books, I wonder if it's just going to be three seasons. Um, I don't know. Um, I know that it's just an option. So there's no director or Yeah, there's no there's yet. no direct, yeah. So they're probably at the very beginning stages of developing this show. And with COVID going on, that adds an extra wrinkle, right? Um but But then if if they're like just writing the script right now, I mean, um I guess like it won't affect them too much. But again, we don't know like how deep into it they are in terms of story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of ways they can go about it. The first book is kind of split into two parts. So I can see there's a pretty good point where the season one finale could take place um, because the first half of the book, it kind of, it tricks you into thinking it's going to be like a military academy type of story, like slice of life story uh, before it turns into a full blown war story. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of different possibilities on how they'll structure the show. Um, but the most exciting thing about this is it's an obviously Asian-inspired fantasy world. So hopefully, and this is hopefully, right? Hopefully with Rebecca on the team, with Peter Lowell, Starlight Media on the team, they'll cast this show um, accordingly and we won't get like a Avatar the movie fuck up. Um I mean, not to say that there's no room for white people. Um, in the world, there is a imperialist American slash European analog. So definitely there's room for white people to play those um, capitalist imperialists there. But um, the main characters are all, at least on the page, coded as different forms of Asian. And especially the main character, um, Rin, comes from an island where the people are darker skin. So hopefully we can get some good like Southeast Asian, South Asian representation as well. Yeah, it sounds like it has a lot of potential. All right. So we're going to move on to our next piece of news. And it's also about an adaptation. Uh, the Netflix adaptation of Sona Chiripatra and Daniel Clayton's novel, Tiny Pretty Things, premiered on December 14th. Uh, So Tiny Pretty Things is a YA novel that follows a group of three elite ballet dancers at a prestigious dance school, and they are all fiercely competitive and more like frenemies instead of friends. And uh, there's a thriller aspect to it because um, uh, I, I think in the show, this is where the show and the book is different. In the show, um, a student is pushed off of a building and she gets into a coma. And uh, the student that replaces her is the first uh, black ballerina at their school. And she's newly enrolled uh, uh, with a full ride scholarship. And um, she's extremely talented. And of course, that spurs jealousy and some extreme bullying. And um, there's like a mystery aspect to like who pushed the student off of the building and like 
uh, and who's like doing all of the uh, all of these bullying tactics. Um, in the book, it's a little bit different. I think the uh, the student that gets injured, uh, she just have like an e- a year long injury that you know kind mm-hmm. of prevents her from going to school rather than being in a coma. Um, but yeah, the three main girls, uh, you have the, you have Gigi, who is named Nevea, Nevea, in the Netflix show, and she's the new, uh, black ballerina. And then you have Betty, who is a legacy student who comes from money and who is cutthroat and will pretty much do whatever it takes to be at the top. Um, and she's also trying to get out of the shadow of her sister, who is a prodigy dancer. And then the last um, the last main character is June, who is a mixed-race Korean, uh, with a strict mom who, you know, kind of pushes her beyond safe limits. And as a perfectionist, she develops an eat- eating disorder and, you know, has to struggle with uh, hiding her condition uh, from the nurse. And, you know, she desperately wants to be a prima ballerina and stop being the understudy. So uh, there's a lot of things going on in this book. Um, I heard that Daniel Clayton, she she actually worked as an English teacher for a pre-professional ballet academy. So uh, there, there was a lot of research done. And I know Sona Chirapatra, she used to dance as well. So uh, for the ballet aficionados out there, this seems like your show. This seems like your book. And I know that we covered this news when it, when like the deal was first announced. So it's nice that it's finally out in the world. Yeah. Are you going to watch the show, Mira? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I am really into dance movies. I've I've consumed them probably in a very unhealthy way, <laughs> but um, one of my triggers that I I usually can't get into is extreme bullying. So I'm just not going to watch the show. But it seems it seems great. I saw the trailer. Um, all of the main characters, uh, sorry, all of the main actors they they are professionals. They you know, they were at the peak of their dance career. They have extremely rigorous training. So the dancing is going to be, quote unquote, on point. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not going to watch it. So <laughs> so for the listeners out there who will watch it, uh, tell us how you feel on our Goodreads forums or or Twitter. All right. Our next story. Um, the New York Times released a data chart on how many BIPOC authors were published in between 1950 and 2018, uh, constraining their research to fiction titles that were published by a major publishing house and had at least 10 libraries holding it. Um, Rira. Yes. Can you share what the results were? Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, like Marvin said, the they had some conditions in in which books that they picked. And out of the 7,124 books uh, for which they identified the author's race, 95% were written by white authors, uh, non-Hispanic white authors. And um, in 2018, 
only 11% of fiction books were by BIPOC authors. 89% were by white authors. I mean, the numbers and disparities are pretty shocking, but are we really surprised? I think we all... I was surprised. Like, like okay, listen, like I knew how bad the, the gap was, but... Uh, when I looked at the, I was just like, okay, yeah, there's going to be no books published by Black authors, by Asian authors in like the 1950s, like maybe like two, two authors, right? But then 2018, 11%. <laughs> I was shocked. I was really taken aback. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's easy to think that there's a ton of books coming out because we, you know, report on a ton of publishing news every month. But I mean... Even when we do our research on Publishers Weekly, like out of a whole week's slate of publishing news, only like one or two maybe include an Asian Asian American author. So the numbers seem shocking because we only deal with Asian authors here on this book club. But in the grand scheme of things, yeah, like things are getting better, right? We went from 5% to 11% in the last 50 years, but it's still pretty like, like that gap is so still so huge. Yeah, it was it was really shocking to me. Um, and like the article, I mean, it the article itself goes more into black representation than uh, any of the other marginalized uh, representation. But um, yeah, it was like they mentioned how the Black Lives Matters protests that happened um, earlier this year it helped increase the number of. Um, book deals for black authors but at the same time like there were concerns about there being a backslide you know like is this a flash in the pan like is it going to go back to to like five percent within the next two years um and it's just because the data isn't there for asian american authors i i'm like really curious out of that 11 percent like how much do we take up yeah, and you know that number increased in the last few years because of the commercial success of projects like Crazy Rich Asians. So again, like, you know, it might it's not as dire as the Black Lives Movement, but it's still very reactionary. And with reactionary things, you always have the risk of like a counter reaction, right? Yeah, and uh, the article goes into how there's a correlation between the number of uh, people of color who work in publishing and the number of books that are published by authors of color. <laughs> and that doesn't surprise me at all because uh, publishing is so, there are so many white professionals compared to uh, professionals of color. And, you know, like there's going to be blind spots. They're not going to think that there's a need to tell these stories or there's an audience to tell these stories. And uh, you can you can really see how, it's so important to have diverse staff because Toni Morrison was an editor at Random House from 1967 to 1983. And while she was there, there was a surge of Black authors. But then after she left, like that number, like just dropped. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it really shows how important we need diverse books and other organizations that have really pushed for diversity in publishing is um, not just like with authors, but also with agents and editors and uh, marketing professionals. 
Uh, these are all parts of how diversity can grow. Uh, because, like, without them, like, those blind spots are going to stay there forever. Yeah. I mean, it really puts in perspective the scope of the fight for more fair representation in their stories, right? Because on the ground, it's hard to see. Like, it feels like we're getting a lot more stories and we're excited because every new new story is like a whole new story, a whole new opportunity uh, for representation. But if you look at everything holistically and the industry as a whole, like we're still fighting for a very, very small sliver of the pie. And it would be so easy to say, yeah, we have authors making it. We've done it. We've won without realizing that there's still so much more work to be done to like get to where we should be. Yeah. And there's also the question of like how much these authors are getting paid. You yeah. know, like there was that hashtag uh, publishing paid me. And we saw how there was like a very, very wide disparity between like how much white authors were getting paid in advances compared to uh, BIPOC authors. Yeah. And <laughs> and there's also like the concern of um, of like what stories are marketable to a white audience. You know, it's like if you're writing a story about the black experience, like it has to be a setting that is it has to be like a hood setting you know what i mean like they're looking for specific uh narratives or plantation yeah and then with like asian american literature it's like oh you have to you have to be writing about the immigrant experience and it has to be about tiger moms or like there are some very narrow um perspectives on like what would sell what would sell Obviously, that has changed in the recent years because we've seen like more contemporary works by Asian American authors. But like you said, it's really like when you look at the scope of things, like we're just fighting for crumbs at this point. Um, and yeah, like I was really shocked that I like not, I'm not going to lie. I lost a lot of motivation after after I read uh, the report. Because it was just like, oh, okay, like we cover all of these book deals and it seems like we, like you said, it seems like we have won or at least are making progress. But it made me realize like how little progress we've made. I mean, progress is still progress, you know, and it's you know, we're fighting against like centuries of institutionalized um, disparities and racism and misogyny. So, you know, obviously we can't change the whole system overnight. And overall, you know, we're still we're still a minority in this country, right? So um I think as the ratio between minorities and majorities you know shift in the next like decade, the hope is that that ratio will keep shifting, right? It's too early to give up, is what I'm saying. I know, it's um, too early to give up. I mean, if you think about it, like uh the the chart begins from nineteen fifty, right? And you have to you have to like put into consideration like when Asian Americans like immigrated to this country and like in terms of like English speaking and writing abilities and uh, just like like putting in putting into consideration like of like opportunities that were available to to Asian American immigrants at the time. Like would would they be able to go to college for English or or like writing? Um so we're relatively new to the literature industry. So Yeah. Yeah, it's 
it's discouraging, but like you said, we have to we have to keep fighting. I mean, statistics are all about how you present the numbers, right? And like a good way to look at this is in the 1950s. So if like the average between the last like 70 years is 5% and it's 11% now, then I think we can estimate that in 1950, it was probably like around one, two, maybe 3%. Like looking at how racist America was back then, probably around 1%. So if we went from 1% to 11%, that is like a 1000% increase. Like that's still a huge increase, right? So um, I think what we've been able to do and what our leaders in the publishing industry have been able to do has been great. And like, just take a look at all the authors now. Like we've been saying this for the last like couple book news episodes, but there are so many authors that are like fresh out of school publishing novels. And that's not something that that's not something that we've been able to claim for a long time. So I think the fact that we have younger people publishing like full blown novels is good for like you know for lack of a better term good for supply right because we, there are much more authors now who are pursuing writing as a job like writing fiction yeah 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 well we're gonna move on to our last piece of news and it also has to do with representation uh linda sue park newberry medalist author created Kibuka, I think that's how I pronounce it, Kibuka, a directory of kids' books by Korean-American authors. Uh, Kibuka categorizes books uh, by reading age levels and links the author's website and social media accounts. So you can look at this directory by going to lindasuepark.com. I took a peek at it, and there are some authors that we have interviewed on the show. Uh, There are some books that I didn't even know about. and it's really great that there there is this resource because, um, like we said, like Asian American literature is not a monolith. So it's nice that there is a directory that is specifically dedicated to uh, Korean American authors for those who are who are looking for it. Um, and Linda Sue Park she she mentioned how um, setting up this directory was kind of a reaction to what was happening with the COVID attacks against. Asians uh in the beginning of the year. Um so yeah, it's it's great that like I didn't realize there were so many Korean American authors. <laughs> uh so it's really nice that this directory exists. I know that um Asian Author Alliance, they also uh just started a directory of Asian American authors. So there's another resource right there. Yeah. Um, good place to look for all those parents looking to buy their kids. I guess um, all those Korean American parents looking to buy their kids um, books that can represent them. That sounds cool. Kudos to Linda Sue Park for putting that together. And uh, this is a shameless plug, but it's our podcast, so I think we're allowed to we're allowed to plug this in. But if you are also looking for a good resource for uh, Asian American authors. Uh, you can also check out our bookshop affiliate page. Oh yes, we have all, yeah, yes. Um, we have we have a lot of categories listed, and um, I'm going to update it pretty soon to reflect uh, 2021 books. Uh, but we have categories such as Asian American fantasy, um, like YA contemporaries uh, starring Asian American leads, uh, middle grade 
contemporary novels, uh, historical fiction novels. Like there's a lot of genres that we have broken down in our affiliate page. So if you're looking for a specific type of read, uh, that is a good uh, source that you can go to. And 10% of our commissions uh, will go to um, independent bookstores across the country. So, yeah. Yeah. Very excited for our listeners to um, give us some money, I guess, uh, but also support Asian American authors. It's a win win for everybody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> listen, listen, um, this podcast is a labor of love, but it does. It, like we are paying out of pocket for for some things, so yeah. we would greatly appreciate your support and, of course, the support of in- independent bookstores everywhere, especially during this time <laughs> where um, you know people can't uh, can't do their shopping on on a regular basis. So yeah, yeah. Well, that'll do it for our last episode before Christmas twenty twenty. Um, before we go, Rira, what are we reading for the month of December? We are reading When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon. Yeah. So uh, hopefully y'all are reading along with us. We'll be discussing that book on our next episode. So stick around as we ring in the new year. Uh, Rira, once again, thank you for compiling this month's book news. Uh, hopefully you have a safe and sane um, rest of the holiday season. Yeah, and I hope everyone else have a safe Christmas as well. I know it's not going to be the same as other years, but I hope you all at least enjoy the (laughs) holiday season. Just please be safe. Be smart. Um, We're not out of the woods yet. And, you know, have fun. It's the holidays. Uh, For Books and Boba, uh, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. Peace.